Have you ever been told at some point in your life that you are not good enough, smart enough, strong enough, rich enough, or any reason really? This podcast is meant to teach, motivate, and inspire you to never lose sight of what your true passion is and to always believe you are far more capable than you think. Welcome to the Why Not Me podcast with your host, David Florence. Each week, we'll bring you a special guest that will truly motivate, inspire, and encourage you to never lose sight of who you are, what it is you're meant to do, and to offer valuable advice on what steps you can take to help you believe in yourself, achieve your dreams, and ultimately lead you to discover your purpose, passion, and drive. There's four things you control in life. You control what you think, you control what you say, control what you feel and you control what you do what you think what you say what you feel and what you do and if it's not one of those four things you don't have any control over it the world goes on around you can't control you can't control the world around you you control the world inside you you know and what i learned is that if i could focus my energy my efforts and my time time man that's a real big thing isn't it because time is the most precious resource we have Welcome back to the Why Not Me podcast. Today, we have a guest that no doubt was going to deliver a message that's going to knock your socks off. I've heard him speak several times and his message hits home, makes you think and appreciate life. So I'm going to get right into uh, introducing Mr. Damon West. Damon's story, as he tells it, will make you stop and think why. His honesty may make you think and feel a little uneasy at times. But in the end, Damon's story will move you and have you experiencing feelings of hope, willpower, adversity, transformation, and ultimately redemption. Today, Damon is a sought-after speaker and best-selling author, which includes co-authoring The Coffee Bean with John Gordon, A Simple Lesson to Create Positive Change, and his other book called The Change Agent. I love being able to do this show because I know it'll help anyone out there who's struggling in life and wondering if there is hope and if good things are meant for them in their life and in general. Well, today I'm excited to bring you again, Damon West, to tell you just how possible that is by walking us through his own personal struggles and how he took adversity and turned it into an opportunity that most in the situation do not get. Damon, I know the Damon West story and experienced your message firsthand at a mastermind conference in San Diego a few years back, and I'm excited to finally be able to share it with our listeners who do not know who you are or your story. With that said, uh, welcome you to the show and thank you for your time. And I know you're busy, so thanks for joining us today. David, thanks a lot, man. And one of the things I wanted to tell you is to thank you for your patience on this, man. We have been trying to connect. We've been friends for a couple of years and and uh, we've been trying to connect on this for about a year now at this point. Yeah. And just my schedule, my speaking schedule is so crazy, but it's not a, that's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. I mean, that means right. you're in demand. I'm on the road probably 80 percent of my life, but I wanted to make sure I was going to be in my home studio to record this because uh, you're a friend and I want to make it work. I want to, I didn't want to do this from a hotel room somewhere. So I appreciate your patience and getting uh, this done. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I know, uh, the listeners are, the time is going to be worth it once they hear your story and we get into this. So if I were everyone who's driving, you might want to stop and sit back and then, uh, enjoy Damon's message. And as we get going here, let's do it, man. Let's so go. I guess the first, the best place for me to start out is, is kind of like, I don't know, we'll go back about to let's let's start on July 30th, 2008, you know, um, back then, July 30th, 2008, I'm not the guy you see in front of you today. I'm not this clean cut, polished looking guy with all these best selling books, potential movie deal. I'm not a family man. I'm not an entrepreneur, I'm not a businessman. Back on July 30th, 2008, I was a full blown meth addict and I was the head of an organized crime ring that was operating the city of Dallas. I was the top criminal on that criminal pyramid. I was a shot caller mm -hmm. of the group. And I was on the couch that day. I remember in this dirty old apartment that I lived in. And I had my meth dealer sitting next to me, this guy named Tex. And, and it, look, David, I'm telling Tex, man, you don't want to be here. The cops are closing in on me. The end is near. Ten days before this, this guy that I was doing all these burglaries with in Dallas, this guy named Dustin, my partner in crime, Dustin, had been picked up by the Dallas Police Department in a stolen car. So they got my partner in crime in custody. I know it's just a matter of time before they get to me. And man, just as I pass the pipe back to Tex, the window on my right blows out and shatters. And then tumbling across my living room floor is this little canister going end over end. It's smoking on one side. Man, I've seen this movie before, David. I know what that canister is about to do. That's a flashbang grenade. And I tried to get out of there as fast as I could, but it was too, it was too late. Boom. This thing goes off in my face. And it's a bright white light, a loud noise. The flashbang does its job. It disorients me. It takes two of my senses away, my sight and my hearing. 
when I could finally see, when I could finally hear again. I look up, there's this cop in full SWAT riot gear. He's got his boot on my chest. The barrel of an assault rifle is digging in my eye socket and his fingers on the trigger. And he's screaming at the top of his lungs, don't move, don't move. And man, I scream back at the cop, don't worry, don't worry. And so these cops, they start flooding my apartment and one of them screams out out loud, we got him. We got the Uptown Burglar. That's a name I'll live with for the rest of my life, Dave, the Uptown Burglar. About a dozen other meth addicts and myself, young and old, male and female, black and white and everything in between because addiction does not discriminate, but we indiscriminately and without reservation broke into the homes of dozens and dozens of people in the uptown neighborhood of Dallas to feed our insatiable habits. But on, on July 30th, 2008, the uptown burglaries came to an end because they had their man. And David, I'm going to tell you something. I had, I didn't have the mindset back then that I have now, which is to find opportunity and adversity. And you think about a SWAT team, right? That's extreme adversity that you're facing in life, right? right? Because that's a SWAT team in your living room. There's guns in your face. That's adversity. But I didn't realize that day because I wasn't in the right mindset that those men and women that came through my windows and doors that day, they didn't just arrest me. They rescued me. They right. were my angels in life. They didn't. My angels don't have wings in this story. They have assault rifles. They had shields. They had helmets. They pulled me out of that world that I was in, a world that I couldn't get myself out of. But honestly, on July 30, 2008, I didn't see it that way. But but I want I think it's important for your listeners to understand that SWAT teams of life, they come for us all the time and in different ways. A SWAT team can be a bankruptcy. It could be a divorce. It's a failed marriage. It's a, it's a child getting hurt. It's, it's someone dying. Those are SWAT teams. They come for us all the time. But this story we're going to talk about today is about finding the opportunity in that adversity. And that's a mindset shift. Right. What was going through your mind at that point? I mean, what brought you to that point where you had SWAT coming in for you? I mean, so how did you, how did your life end up to that point where, I mean, because like you said, it's not, we have different forms of SWAT coming after our lives each and every day, but yours was legitimately the, the real deal, knocking on your door, coming through the window. And um, what, what led you to your life to that point? where you were facing that struggle? Yeah, I, I think the simple answer is the addiction. But uh, before I get into the addiction and how it, uh, how it, you know, my world of addiction affected me and how I got there, there's two kinds of adversity you're going to face in life, David. There's the kind of adversity that you find yourself in because life puts it on you and life is hard. Life is going to deal you with a lot of adversity. There's, there's the other kind of adversity that you have to deal with in life. That's the kind of adversity that you find yourself in because of the choices that you make. And this story is largely about choices and the consequences of those choices. Because I had it all growing up, David. I came from a great family, this little Southeast Texas town called Port Arthur, Texas. My, my mom and my dad, I mean, they just, just the other day, we celebrated their 55th wedding anniversary. So I didn't come from a broken home or a split home. I had a great education and I was a great athlete. I was a, a star quarterback in the state of Texas, man. Texas high school football is a very big deal back in my home. Mm -hmm. It's a religion. And uh, I got a scholarship to play Division One college football at the University of North Texas. And by the time I was 20, I had become the starter in my Division One team. And I, and I really thought I had arrived in life because right. my entire identity is wrapped up in being this football player. But, but life has a way of giving us these days that I call fork in the road days. And these fork in the roads are days that life is going to knock you down really hard. You'll mm -hmm. get back up. You'll dust yourself off. But you'll make a choice at the fork in the road. And the choice is you make the right choice to go the right way. The wrong choice to go the wrong direction. And on September 21st, 1996, we were playing against Texas A&M. It was a beautiful Saturday in College Station, man. And I'm, I'm driving my team down the field against the Aggies. But on the third play of this game, I go down with a career ending injury. And I never play college football again. And when I get up to this fork in the road in life and football is gone, mm -hmm. my identity was gone with it. And I got into hardcore drugs at this point, cocaine, ecstasy, pills. Because one of the hallmarks of being an addict is that we cannot deal with life on life's terms. Mm -hmm. We have to change the terms of that by putting chemicals to change the way we feel. And um, I was a very functional addict. I graduated college. I go off to work in Washington, the United States Congress. I work for a guy running for president of the United States. Mm -hmm. 2004, I moved back to Dallas to train to be a stockbroker for one of the biggest Wall Street banks in the world, UBS, United Bank of Switzerland. Because at that job as a stockbroker in 2008, I mean, in 2004, that my life and the lives of so many other innocent people would forever be changed. Because one day at work in 2004, I was passed out 
Another stockbroker come, comes up. He sees me sleeping. He wakes me up. He's visibly shaking. He's like, damn, wake up. He said, man, you can't sleep on this job. The markets are open. Mm -hmm. You're messing with people's money. He said, they will fire you if they catch you sleeping here. So he said, come on down to the parking garage. I got something that'll pick you up. So he takes me down to the parking garage that day. We get into his car and he hands me this glass pipe with these crystal rocks in it. Mm -hmm. Man, I've never seen a glass pipe before. I'm like, man, what is that? And he said, he said, Damon, it's crystal meth. And he said, you're going to love this stuff. And David, that was it. I took my first hit of meth that day and I became instantly hooked, just like so many other addicts when they touch a drug like crystal meth, which is made in a lab. It's made to get you hooked. And I gave everything away for that drug, my job, my home, my car, my savings account, my family, my tether into God. And 18 months later, I go from working on Wall Street to living on the streets of Dallas. I'm homeless, man. I'm, I'm living in dope houses. I sleep in cars. And I become a criminal. I start breaking into cars. I start breaking into storage units. And eventually, I start breaking into people's homes and these, these burglaries, these home burglaries that I committed, man. You know, when I broke into people's houses, David, I didn't just steal my victim's property. I stole something way more valuable from my victim, something I don't think they can ever get back. I stole their sense of security. Right. That's something they'll live with for the rest of their lives. But after three years of committing property crimes against the people of Dallas, the Dallas SWAT team on July 30th, 2008, put an end to the uptown burglaries the day that they arrested me. Or like I said before, that's not just the day I was arrested. That was the day I was rescued. But my life, David, at that point in 2008, you know, I thought being arrested and being thrown in Dallas County Jail with a, with a $1.4 million bond, that was a no bond. I couldn't get out of right. jail. I thought that was as bad as it could get. Not true. Not true. It was going to get worse. It had to get worse before it got better. Because I think in life, this is how God shows that he's real to people. You know, he uses people as examples that of doing things that only he can do. But in order for that to happen, he's going to break you down to the most basis form that there is. And then if you're willing and you surrender, he'll build you back up and he'll show you the way. Right. So being arrested and, and being sitting in Dallas County Jail, that couldn't be the worst that happened to me. The worst that happened to me was 10 months after my arrest. I was in, they took me to trial. It was May 18th, 2009. I was standing in front of a jury in Dallas and the jury, these 12 men and women in this jury box, they listened to a six day criminal trial. Six days is a long trial, David, for crimes that no one got hurt. No one was home. I never saw my victim. They never saw me. These are property crimes around drugs. But a six day trial means the evidence of my guilt was overwhelming. And at the end of that six day trial, the jury went to deliberate 10 minutes. 10 minutes, dude. I don't know how much law and order you watch, but if a jury's gone for 10 minutes, it means they smoked you. And they came back in with their decision and they read it out. The judge read it out loud. Damon Joseph West, you are hereby sentenced to 65 years in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. David, 65 years in the state of Texas? That is a life sentence. The jury gave me life that day. Man, that was that rock bottom moment. And in my book, The Change Agent, that's where I start the book out. And the, the chapters are actually called Rock Bottom. And in addiction terms, we call Rock Bottom that place that becomes the bottom that's sufficient enough for us to want to make the change, where you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And here's the deal, though, David. Everybody's Rock Bottom is a different place. You know, I can't tell you what your Rock Bottom could be, and you can't tell me what mine could be. Right. But everybody has a different tolerance for pain. Some people never hit their bottoms too, David, especially in addiction, man. Some people, they follow their addiction into death. So, but that was my rock bottom moment, man. Uh, May 18th, 2009, the jury sentenced me to life in prison. And man, that is where life got crazy. So it's been about 14 years, almost to the date or just past the date, right? Since that sentencing and just a little over seven since being released. Is that right? Yeah, about seven and a half years. So... What was like, I'm sure like so many people want to hear initially when you start with that story is why? Like, was that your, when you got injured, was that, is that where the, it turned for you as far as your story with the introduction to drugs? Or was it that point when, when you were at the stock, when you had that meeting with the, your partner in the garage, was that the first exchange or did you experience, was it the injury that kind of led to it? And the reason why I asked that, because when I was in high school and college, when I saw one of our star athletes experience an injury, you know, 
it, it was almost similar. Like it's like not dealing with it, turning to instead of support, they're turning to substance. And was that is that how your injury is that because of the injury, or is it just where you were at, at that stage? Yeah, the injury uh, is definitely the, the turning point. It's a fork in the road. And the thing is, my identity is so wrapped up in being a college football player. And when that was gone, my identity was gone. And it, it's the mistake I tell people all the time. You can't wrap your identity up into, into things that are external. You, right. Your identity can't come from your job. It can't come from the home you live in, the car you drive, the, the social media, Instagram. It's not your identity. Your identity has to come from within you. What are you at the end of the day when everything else is removed from you? And, and I didn't have a core identity. I didn't have core values. I didn't have core beliefs back then. Right. And a person with no core beliefs and no core values is susceptible to fall into any trap in life. And right. mine was substance abuse because I could put chemicals in to change the way I felt, put chemicals in to make me feel greater right. than I actually was, to turn the voice of fear down and the voice of delusion up. Right. Yeah, it was definitely the college football injury. So take us to the, the the sentencing. And so they go out, they deliberate, they're back in 10 minutes. What's going on? Like, what were you doing at that moment? What's what's your what's your mindset at that moment when when it came back so quickly? Yeah, I, I knew I was in trouble because the fast a fast verdict like that is not that's not a good sign for someone at the defense table. I mean, I guess it could be if you if the trial had gone your way for 6 days. Right. But I mean, I'm watching, you know, victim after victim, accomplice, co-conspirator, co-conspirator after co-conspirator testify against me and all this evidence police testifying against me. All the evidence of my guilt right. is overwhelming. So I know that I'm going to prison. And in my mind, that 10 minutes, I'm just trying to figure out how long. Is it going to be 10 years? It can be 20 years. And I'm really thinking, you know, 20 years is like a good deal at this point. Right. But when they bring me back in for 10 minutes, I knew I was in trouble. One of my lawyers, a woman named Karen Lambert, she said, uh, she said, you need to brace yourself. This is going to be bad. And I'm like, how bad, Karen? She said, well, you were gone for that brief 10 minutes. The jury sent a note to the judge. They wanted to know if they could give you life without parole. Wow. Man, David, life without parole, that's a capital punishment. That, that's reserved for crimes where, where people get killed in the crime. Right. No one was even home. I'm like, Karen, that's crazy. She said, hey, it doesn't matter at this point. She said, they hate you. You need to get ready. And when the judge read the sentence out loud, it took my breath away. And, you know, I was in a little bit of shock, too, after the sentence was read. It, it's weird what you remember when something happens like that. But the first thing that went through my head is that I'll never vote again. I don't know. I mean, you think about what would go through your head when someone sends you to life, but you realize you're a convicted felon and you're not going to be able to vote again. Right. But uh, immediately after the judge read the sentence out, the sheriff is on me, the bailiff is on me, they handcuffed me. They're dragging me out of the courtroom. I lock eyes with my mom on the way out. I'm like, mom, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They whisk me out of there. They put me in this little side room. It's got a bulletproof glass. They told me to wait. A few minutes later, my mom and my dad were escorted in on the other side of the glass. They've decided to give my parents one last visit with me before I go to prison. They feel sorry for my parents because I just got life. Right. Now, my dad can't even talk. He is in stunned disbelief that his son, with all this promise in life, mm -hmm. just received a life sentence in prison. So my mom, that strong-willed woman, that nurse, she does all the talking. And she says, baby, she said, debts in life demand to be paid, and you mm -hmm. just got hit with one hell of a bill from the state of Texas. She said, but you did the things they said you did, Damon. So you have to go and pay that debt to society. She said, cause you owe Texas that debt, but, but you owe your father and I debt too. We gave you all the opportunities, love and support to be anything you want to be in life. And that's how you just repaid us. What we saw in that courtroom. She says, it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. We raised you in Port Arthur, Texas, a giant multi pot of a city. We gave you a great moral compass, which you chose to not use. She said, so here's the debt you're going to pay to us when you go to prison. You will not get in one of these white hate groups, one of these Aryan Brotherhood type of gangs, because you're scared because you're the minority in there. She said, it's not going to work. You were never raised to be a racist. You're not going to start now. She said, you will not get any tattoos inside that prison. She said, no gangs, no tattoos. You come back as the man we raised or don't come back at all. And I'm floored that my mom has just told me this. Right. She said, you know, Damon, do you understand this debt you're going to pay to us? And I'm like, yeah, mom, I got it. Man. What do I know about prison, David? I'm a white middle-class guy in America. I don't know if it's been to prison at this point, you know? 
I get back to my pod in Dallas County Jail. I got two months before the prison bus comes to pick me up. And I'm asking every guy in there, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, how am I going to survive? What am I going to do? And every guy I talked to, they said the same thing. You got to get into a gang. So you won't survive without a gang. They said the gang is your family now. But there was this one guy who was so different there, David, this old black man named Mr. Jackson. And Mr. Jackson is what you call a career criminal. He's been in and out of the prison his entire life. But he's the most positive guy I've ever met in my life. This guy had a smile on his face everywhere he went. You couldn't knock the smile off of Jackson's face. And every morning, he'd come up to my cell, to my bunk, and he'd, he'd pick me up like a ray of sunshine in that dark place with his positive energy. So, so one morning, Jackson comes into my bunk. He's got a cup of coffee in his hands and a smile on his face. He's like, West, I've been watching you. I've been watching how you're dealing with these knuckleheads and these dummies. Talk about you got to get into a gang. He said, man, no, listen to these fools. You want to keep the promise you made to your mom and your dad? Then let me tell you what prison is really going to be like. And so he tells me, you know, he said, the first thing you need to understand about prison, he said, prison's all about race. He said, race runs the entire institution. And that's the way the inmates wanted in there. He said, so don't get into a jam about your race. But because it's about race, when you walk in the door, the white gangs get the first dibs on you. And he said, you got to fight all the white gangs off, the Aryan Brotherhood, the Aryan Circle, the White Knights, the Woods. He said, if you survive that, then you're going to fight the black gangs and the white gangs will send the black gangs after you and the Crips, the Bloods, and the Gangster Disciples, the Mandingo Warriors. They're going to be happy to tee off on this independent white guy that won't get with his own race and his own kind. He said, but if you survive all that and you can survive all that, you'll earn the right to walk alone. He said, the strongest man in prison always walks alone. He told me the truth about fighting, David. He said, you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. He said, some days you're going to win and some days you're going to lose. And he said, it's okay to lose as long as you get back up. Get back up and keep fighting. When he's telling me this back in 2009, though, David, I'm looking back at this guy like a deer in headlights, man. All this violence and terror I'm about to walk into. Right. And that's when he's like, he's like, Wes, let me break it down for your different way. He said, I want you to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. He said, anything we put into the pot of boiling water will be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. He said, I'm going to put three things in that pot of boiling water and watch how they change. A carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. Mm. So he walks me through it. He said, the carrot in the pot of boiling water we call prison goes in hard, but it becomes soft, mushy, and weak. Because the carrot got beat, he got robbed, he may have gotten killed. You don't want to be the carrot inside the prison. He said, the egg in the same pot of boiling water we call prison goes in there with a soft liquid, liquid inside, a hard outer shell. The shell protects it on the outside, but on the inside, that soft liquid inside, the heart becomes hardened. He said, if your heart becomes hardened, you become incapable of giving or receiving love. And he said, if you're incapable of giving or receiving love in the place you're about to walk into, you don't come back as someone your parents recognize because your eggshell will have swastikas tattooed all over it. Then he told me, he said, the coffee bean and the same pot of warm water we call prison goes in there and actually changes the pot of warm water into a pot of coffee. He said, it's the only thing that could change the water because the coffee bean is the change agent. He said, that's what coffee beans do. They change the environment around them. So he's telling me, if you want to come back as someone your parents recognize, you have to be a coffee bean. In fact, the last words he ever says to me, David, on the way out the door, he tells me, West, be a coffee bean. The same words on the wall behind me, the same words in this hat that I wear, my, my slogan that I say every, everywhere I go, be a coffee bean, because if this old man was telling me the truth, that changed everything. That put the power back inside me. Mm -hmm. Now, if the power is inside me, that means that it's not in the hands of the criminal justice system, the guards, the other inmates. It's really in me. And if right. I could harness that, if I could keep that in me, I wouldn't just survive prison. I would thrive in it. And that's the message I tell everybody out there, your audience today. The power is inside you. It's not what goes on around you in the city you live in, the state you live in, the crazy politics of this country right now. It's not on social media. It's in you. And if you can keep the power inside you, you won't just survive your adversity. You thrive in it, too. And for those listening, uh, Damon definitely listened to his mom <laughs> and because you can't see Damon, but he's got zero tattoos. None. So so definitely uh, those words uh, struck home <laughs> for sure. Uh, Damon, so Mr. Jackson's advice and one of the questions I was going to lead with that was, was that the one moment or advice or those words of encouragement that got you through those moments where I'm sure you had to be thinking, what am I doing here? How am I going to survive this? Oh, definitely. I tell people this all the time. I remember the way I felt 
when I heard the coffee bean message for the first time from Mr. Jackson. Because I see that light bulb go off in the eyes of so many people that I tell the story to. It's the same look that I gave Mr. Jackson when he told it to me. So, yeah, I thought to myself, this is like some secret that I've got that I'm taking with me. This is the secret. This is the way I'm going to do this. I'm going to survive this thing and I'm going to come out on the other side a better person um, because I now know that I have three choices in life. It made it really simple for me. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes life can seem complicated because you you you've got too many options. You think you got all these different things going around you. There's, you know, sensory overload going on, especially with social media, excuse me, especially with social media and all that. Right. But this simplified it. This put this down into three different lanes that I could go down. Mm-hmm. And it didn't mean that that I would never be the carrot again, because you're going to be the carrot. That's being sad. That's a natural human emotion. Right. And it didn't mean I wouldn't ever be the egg again, because you're going to be the egg sometimes because eggs. Being mad, that's another human emotion you're going to experience in life. But it meant that I couldn't get stuck being the carrot, that I couldn't get stuck being an egg because I had this third choice in life to be a coffee bean. And, you know, one of the things he told me, too, he said that every room you walk into, your energy, you either infect the room with your negative energy or you affect a room with your positive energy. David, you infect or you affect every room you go into. You are the disease or you are the cure in every space you go into. I think that's an important message for listeners to really think about for a second, because every day we do have that choice and how we wake up, what influences our day, how are you going to react to it? So I, I haven't heard that analogy before, Damon, but I think it's probably the best advice I think anyone could take is do you want to affect or do you want to infect? So right. 100% correct. So what, what happens next, Damon? So you go through the sentencing, you meet with Mr. Jackson, you're in county. What's that next transition like for you? What's And the struggles that you're about to deal with and you're about to fight through with the adversity you're about to face? Yeah. So, look, I, it, it was harder than anything I could have ever imagined. Um, prison, you know, by design, prison is a punishment. It's mm-hmm. a very difficult place. The thing that I can tell you about prison, pretty much all prison that I see in America, because I go to a lot of prisons, prisons are a place that are devoid of hope. And hope is the thing that every human being must have mm-hmm. to have a, a good life. Because if you don't have hope, you don't have anything in life. It's a very dark place and dark. Mm-hmm. Prison, the prison I went into, one of the toughest prisons in Texas, one of the toughest prisons in America, the Mark Stiles Unit in Beaumont, Texas, it is a place that does not like a new light. Prison mm-hmm. is dark, and prison likes prisons like to be dark. They don't like light. Jackson told me, he said, you are a light in a dark place, and people are mm-hmm. going to want to extinguish you, meaning people are going to want to kill you because they don't want a light in a dark place. And, uh, and he was right. The first two months of prison were a baptism by fire. I probably got in three dozen fights those first two months, and I lost 75% of those fights, man. I got my butt kicked all over that prison. But I won. I won all my fights because I kept showing up. Jackson said, you don't have to win those fights. You just got to fight those fights. And so that's what I kept doing. I just kept showing up and fighting my fights, and I lost most of my fights. Mm -hmm. But after two months of, of, of fighting, and it was just like Jackson said, first it was the white gangs, then it was the black gangs. Mm-hmm. Then I earned the right to walk alone. And so two months, two months of fighting, the violence was finally over. The threat to my physical safety is gone. Mm-hmm. But after two months of prison, I got a bigger problem in my hands, and it's not a physical thing. It's an internal thing. I'm becoming the egg. I don't want to be the egg, right. but I don't know how to be a coffee bean at this point. You know, one of the last conversations I had with Jackson in county jail, I asked him, I said, what am I going to find more of when I get to prison? And David, his answer was profound. He's one of the most intelligent men I've ever met. He said, you're going to find more eggs, Wes, and here's why. He said, the egg is the natural evolution of any human being instead of any difficult situation. He said, the tr- he said, you're about to walk in one of the most difficult situations there is. He said, the truth is, you'll probably become the egg too. He was right. He was right about everything. You know, I was having a conversation with my first cellmate in prison, a little guy named Carlos. Carlos is about five foot four, a little Hispanic guy, a little bank robber from San Antonio, Texas. And then one night, I'm telling him the story in, in our cell of the coffee bean because I'm asking him for help. Like, I can't figure out how to be a coffee bean. And he breaks it down for me. He, he tells me, he said, man, I love the story of the coffee bean. He said, but you're no coffee bean. 
and, and honestly, you'll never be a coffee bean because the way you think. He said, because your thoughts control your actions. He said, your problem is right now, you think prison is a punishment when you should be thinking prison is an opportunity. Right. Man, this floored me. Right. Because I'm sitting in a maximum security level five prison, the highest security level there is. I fought for two months for my right to exist in this place. I don't know if I can survive or if I ever get to go home. And this little bank robber is telling me this could be a good thing, right? So he said, Wes, this is your opportunity. Your opportunity to work on yourself 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you become the best version of yourself possible. And it lights out that night. He mm -hmm. peeks his head down from the top bunk and he said, Psst, West, what are you prepared to do tomorrow with your opportunity? This little dude refused to call prison a punishment, David. And, and God right. put him in my cell. You know, mm -hmm. it's proof that God can use any messenger to get through to you. The messengers in life, they may not look like you. They might have come from the same background as you. But if you're open and willing to listen to all of God's message, one of mine was a, a black Muslim man in Dallas County Jail. Another one is this little Hispanic bank robber serving life in my cell. But I was receptive to all the messengers. So therefore, I'm getting all of his messages. You know, that was a, another conversation that changed the direction I was on. I got up the next day and I started doing the one thing that everybody has to do in life to change the situation they're in. That next day, I got up and I took action in my life mm -hmm. and take an action. That's what we all have to do. No one can take your action for you. No right. one can put in your work for you. You have to put in your own work. No one is going to come wake you up and no one is going to come save you. There is no Calvary coming for you, David, because mm -hmm. you are the Calvary. You right. are the change agent in your own life. Right. And that's when I started turning my life around inside that prison. So, Damon, when when you were speaking with your cellmate and, and he was feeding you those words of, I mean, really wisdom, right? That he was, and, and changing your mindset from someone, like you said, that probably was definitely one of un, unexpected, but the struggles that you were fighting and that adversity while you're going through, how did you deal with and deal with that and identify and not let it control, you know, who you were, not just at that time, but really who you were meant to be today and, and not negatively affect your mindset to get through each day while you're in there. I think the key word there is control. You used it already. And, and when you said that, how did you not like to control you? I learned inside that prison that there's only four things that you have control over in life. And the, this was important because I'd gone through life, you know, in, in addiction, you're a manipulator. That's right. what addiction is all about. Being very manipulative. You're a liar. You're a cheater. Manipulate. And so um, as a manipulator, I never dealt with life when I was trying. And I always thought that I controlled all these variables around me. I can, you know, I could pull levers and push buttons and get people to do what I want them to do. But I was delusional. That's another thing. Another hallmark about living in your addiction. You're very delusional. I have delusional thinking. And so I had to surrender to the idea that I have to live life on life's terms. Right. I talked about right. this earlier. And when you do that, you realize there are four things you control in life. You control what you think. You control what you say. You control what you feel. And you mm -hmm. control what you do, right. what you think, what you say, what you feel and what you do. And if it's not one of those four things, you don't have any control over it. The world goes on around. You can't control. Right. You can't control the world around you. You control right. the world inside you, you know. And what I learned is that if I could focus my energy, mm -hmm. my efforts and my time, time, man, that's a real big thing, isn't it? Because time is the most precious resource we have. And once time is gone, it's gone for good. And all the money in the world won't buy us one more second of that stuff that we call time. Right. But if I can figure out a way to focus my time on those four things and not mess with the other stuff, mm -hmm. my life could take off. And that's what happened, man. Right. I started just saying, you know what, if it's not one of those four things, I'm not going to worry about it. Right. That's hard to do. But inside of a prison, so many other decisions are taken away from you. It became a place where adopting that mindset was kind of beat into you because you don't make a lot of decisions in your life when you're in prison. You don't decide what you're going to wear. You don't decide what you're going to eat, when you're going to eat. You don't decide, you know, if I can go out and do anything. They let you know what you're going to do. So your, your, your world of control shrinks around you, but it was the exact thing I needed. Because once I got to a place where I was amendable to that way of thinking, that's when I started focus, focusing all my energy on those four things. And the stuff going on around me, that can't affect me. And it's like people in jobs that are, you know, high profile job, pro athletes. I talk about this with pro and college athletes all the time. I mean, you live in a giant fishbowl, man. 
There's people around you and, and people want to see you fail and all this other stuff, the, the craziness that goes on in sports. That, but that didn't have to affect you. That's a circus that goes on around you. You're not, you're not that. You, know, you got to pull yourself away from that. Right. So, Damon, obviously the, one of the questions that immediately when I first heard you speak, and I'm sure many people probably have asked you, while you're while you're in there and going through what I can what I have to imagine is probably the hardest challenges or struggles or adversity anyone's ever going to face. But mindset, what's the mindset like for you? And I had to change every day, I'm assuming. Right. Or, or maybe not just based on the principles you went in there for, with Mr. Jackson and your soulmate. And I'm sure people challenge you each and every day. So. What's your mindset like and how did you get through each day to the next without really when you're looking at that sentence and like really not knowing there was an end that was coming up for you? Yeah, the mindset is that I've got three things that I've got to work out on every day if I'm going to get better. And that's spiritually, mentally and physically working on myself. My mind, my body and my soul must be exercised every day. And there's nothing that can get in the way of that. And that becomes a commitment that you make. And when we keep our promises to ourselves, that's where confidence comes from. And once the confidence comes from that, we create a consistent way of living because consistency is key, man. Consistency beats talent any day of the week. I'm going to consistently get up every day and work on myself in those three areas. And if I do that, then I become the best version of me. I can't control the fact that I'm in prison, but I can make that prison the best place for me spiritually mentally, physically every day. And that's what I did. And did I do it perfectly? No, I'm not a perfect adherent to this, man. It's spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection that I was going for. But I had a spiritual awakening inside that prison. And that's, I think, the key thing here that we're, we're going to have to get to in this conversation is that what goes on in my life, it's not something that human beings can do alone. This is a spiritual thing that happened. I went into a world, a dungeon, we'll call it. It was a cocoon for me. That dungeon was my cocoon. I went in a caterpillar and I came out a butterfly because I allowed the metamorphosis to happen to me on a spiritual plane in there. I grew more spiritually in seven years and three months inside that prison than I did the first 33 years that I was on this earth, David. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I want people to understand this because sometimes the place of the greatest growth you're going to be in in life is going to be the hardest situation you've ever been through because growth takes place outside your comfort zone. You have to get uncomfortable to grow. Growth doesn't take place where you're stagnant and mm -hmm. things are comfortable and good. If you want to grow, if you want to become the best version of you, you're going to have to go through some uncomfortable things. My friend, Ed Milet, Ed says that life doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. Right. Everything in life, the good and the bad, is happening for you to become the best version of you. But you're going to have to go through some of those things to meet the best version of you. Yeah, and... What I what I really uh, thought was you when I uh, heard you speak for the first time out in San Diego was how sincere and genuine you were in delivering that message. And you weren't hiding behind anything. You were straightforward and really, and I think every, had everyone on the edge of their seats because they wanted to know what, what happened next. What was the next thing? What was the next thing you did? What was your next thought? And, and so for you, one of the things that I thought about when I was going through some questions, I'm like, there's so many questions that, you know, when I put out that I was having you on, ask them this, ask them that. So one of the questions that came across was someone wanted to know what, what would you say was your best and worst moment that helps you get through each day? Yeah. Best and worst moment, man. Uh, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, and it's, it's that mindset thing. Mm -hmm. This is something I think a lot of people relate to. The best and wor worst moment every day in prison was waking up. I'm going to tell you why it was waking up. Because the best moment, because you woke, you woke up, you had another day, you know, you got another bite of the apple of life. But there's that immediate uh, realization that you just woke up inside of a prison, you know? Right. So it's great I woke up, but for a split second, you wake up, you look around, you're like, man, I'm still in prison, you know? Um, right. But the mindset of a coffee bean is you shove that out right away because I want people to understand that, that being a coffee bean doesn't mean you don't have these thoughts. You don't have these emotions. You go through that, man. Right. Pain 
demands to be felt. I mm-hmm. tell people that all the time. Pain demands to be felt. So the best and worst moment every day is, is waking up, man. You wake mm-hmm. up, hey, man, I got another bite of the apple of life, but oh, wait, I'm still in this maximum security prison. Right. But I'm going to tell you something that I learned. That prison, a physical prison, is not the hardest prison to be in. The hardest prison that I've ever seen a person go into is the prison in your mind. David, I meet more people out here in the free world that are locked up than I ever did when I served time in a real prison. Because more people are in prison by their thoughts and by their things than by steel bars and barbed wire and concrete combined. And every day that I woke up and I got past that initial, oh, man, I'm still in prison, I'd block that out like, okay. This is my pot of boiling water. This is where I'm going to make coffee today. What can I do? What can Damon West do today to to grow Damon West spiritually, mentally, and physically? So if I'm being honest with you, it was just waking up every day inside that prison. Yeah, I'm excited I woke up, but man, I'm back in prison, you know? But that's okay. I made the most of it. Right. Yeah, and I think the funny thing is that when I was younger, our grandfather used to say to us, "It's every day is a good day because I, I, I woke up, like you said, he's like, I'm alive. And what, what we're going to make of the day is it's all in your own mindset and how you handle, how you want to perceive the day to be. So, so for you and not having that, um, you know, you weren't able to walk out those doors, but I'm curious that like, and you were released. So you had this 65 year life sentence. So let's, let's kind of fast forward to that. Like you're, you're coming up for parole. You have that right to, to, to be released. What was that? What take us up to that moment? What was that like for you? And what was your, your thought like going into that? That's a good question because uh, it's impossible to be in prison and be up for parole and not have this itch that what if, what if I get to make parole? But the reality is David, I mean, for a person to make their first parole in a life sentence at seven years, doesn't happen often. I mean, you know, on a, on a life sentence like that, that's non-aggravated where no one gets hurt. I figure I'm probably have to do about 10 to 15 years before they let me go home. That's pretty normal. Right. But I know I'm up for parole and I know I've done everything I could. Excuse me. And I try to put my best foot forward for this parole. And uh, my mom helps me out making this thing called a parole packet. A parole packet is a uh, just a packet of information you put together for the parole voter voters to see what you've been doing the entire time. They want to, you want them to see the real rehabilitation, to see the change that you made in your life. And I've packed a lot of stuff in this parole packet, but I know ultimately my odds of going home are probably about 99 to one against me doing it. If I took it on a hundred, a hundred point scale, I got about a 1% chance of making parole and that's being very generous. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my life has always been a life of extremes. You look at everything in my life. I mean, I'm extremely blessed in life. I mean, Division One college quarterback, some of the best jobs a person can have in life, a best family a person can have. Uh, drug addict, took it to the extreme. Criminal, I took that to the extreme. Uh, getting sentenced to life in prison, took that to the extreme. Right. So like your book says, why not me? Why can't I make parole? But honestly, I, I hedge my excitement on it. I'm cautiously optimistic. I don't think I can make parole. Um, but I go into that meeting. They called me into parole in 2015. The chaplain came in that day. I was working at chapel. I was a chapel clerk. And uh, it was Chaplain Vance. He came in. He said, hey, man. He said, the parole board's here to see you. Get down to the main building right now. So, you know, I, t- I caught my breath. I said a prayer. I go in there. And the lady for parole, she's sitting there behind this desk and she's got my criminal file open in front of her. My criminal file is about an inch and a half thick. It's everything I've ever done. And she's flipping through the pages of it for about 20 seconds. She slams the file shut. She pushes it away. And she's like, Mr. West, I, I, I came here today to ask you one question for this parole here. And she said, the answer to my question is not in the file about the guy that I read about who committed all those crimes. She said, we just don't see a lot of Damon West come through our state prison system. She said, because you had it all. You had every advantage, every privilege, and every opportunity over everybody else in life. She said, you're the definition of a privileged person in this country. She said, but you blew through all your privileges. You became a drug addict. You became a criminal. You became a thief. She said, a jury in Dallas gave you life in prison for the things you did. She said, but, 
instead of letting the license define you, she said, you change yourself inside this prison, Mr. West. There's no doubt, no doubt about the change you made to yourself. She said, but what got our attention, the reason why we're here today is you didn't just change yourself. You changed the entire prison around you. She said, one man could change this prison. She said, so my question for you is this. If you could be remembered for being anything in life, anything at all, she said, tell me what that would be in just one word. Go. And man, David, that's an easy question for a coffee bean. Right. I fired her answer back at her. I was like, ma'am, useful. I just want to be useful. And I can be useful inside this prison, as you've already seen. Or I could be useful in the free world again, finding more coffee beans. Right. November 16th, 2015, a day I'll never forget because I walk out of a Texas prison. Now, I'm not a free man. You're not looking at a free man in front. You're not listening to a free man on this podcast today. Right. I've got a little more time left on parole in the state of Texas. I'm on parole into the year 2073. Okay. That's 50 more years from the date of this recording that I'm on supervised release. Every month in Beaumont, Texas, I pee in a cup. I pay my fines. Ms. Braggs, my parole officer, I answer every question she has. If I want to leave the state of Texas, I get permission from Ms. Braggs and the state of Texas. But let me tell you something I'm not worried about, David, is that parole. They can keep their parole because I'm a coffee bean. The right. only way this coffee bean is going to prison is when I go to prisons all over America and I share the story with the men and women in there to bring them hope on their journey. And I walk out the front gate of all my prisons today because that's what being a coffee bean is all about. Owning your past, owning your story, owning your behaviors, making good choices and trying to find ways to serve other people every day. And with Preach. that formula, I'm not going back to prison. Right. Preach. And Damon, so what's that moment like? when you finally, when you were able to finally walk out of that prison, what was that moment like for you? And, and who was there waiting for you? Yeah, my mom and my dad were waiting for me. They were, they were there to pick me up. They were there every step of the way of prison. They came to visit me over 150 times when I was in prison. They were there waiting outside the gate when I got out there. And I'm telling you something, it's like a trick of the mind. Because mm -hmm. as soon as I walked out that gate, I mean, my foot hits the ground on the other side of the gate. Uh, the ground feels different. The air is lighter. The sky is bluer. The grass is greener, the trees are brighter, the air is fresher. Everything is different on the other side of this one fence. This fence, man, that I've been on the other side of. And it's a trick of your mind, right? But it's because you are free. And I know that I'm free. And I get out there and my mom and my dad are waiting. And, and they take me back home to uh, Southeast Texas, where I live with them in their spare bedroom for the next two years on parole. So what, what was... Uh... When you saw your mom and dad there, what was was there something that you know you just had to go do, or what was that like? Oh man, I had to go get Whataburger, man. I was uh, <laughs> I am dying to have Whataburger, brother. I mean, that was uh, I would, people that are in prison, we dream about food, man. Uh, food is like the a very big motivator in life, and in prison, you don't have access to real good food, and everybody that gets out of prison, they got a meal they want to go eat, something they've been dreaming about. And mine was Whataburger, and my mom. You know, my dad's like, hey, let's go to Whataburger. My mom's like, hey, you know, Bob, hang on a second. Don't don't even start the car. She said, Damon, I got three things you're going to need to get through life. First thing she hands me is my iPhone. She got me an iPhone. And it, look, man, I can't even get the thing to light up. When I when I, when I got arrested, phones had buttons, brother. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't operate the thing. Next thing she hands me is my driver's license. I, you know, I, I got my driver's license renewed while I was in prison. And she, she says, hey, look, Damien, you got, a, you got a phone. You can stay in touch with the world. You got a driver's license. You can borrow my vehicle to get anywhere you need to go until you can afford your own car. She said, what's the third thing I have for you? Look, man, my mom was a very spiritual person, a very devout Christian woman. I'm like, I know it's going to be something spiritual, but I'm like, mom, listen, I got the best relationship with God that I've ever had. I mean, he's, in the, he's in the driver's seat. I'm just riding this car now. And she said, Damon, you always did talk too much. And she said, Damon, stick out your wrist. So I stuck out my wrist and she put this bracelet on my wrist. And this bracelet is a bunch of fishing lures. It's called a Fisher of Men bracelet. Mm -hmm. And when I was in prison, I used to go to these Christian retreats, man. And I love these retreats because these men would come in from the free world. They spent four days with us. The cursed, the wicked, the sinners, the incarcerated. They truly lived out that Bible verse, my favorite Bible verse, that Matthew 25, 36. When I was in prison... You visited me. These men do that. They visit people in prison all the time, visit inmates, and uh, they call them ACTS. And ACTS mm -hmm. is an acronym for Adoration, Community, Theology, and Service. And they wear these bracelets. She's telling me, she said, she put the bracelet on my wrist. She said, Damon, back home, 
every man and woman that's been through Acts, your brothers and sisters in, in Christ, they're all wearing these bracelets. That's how they identify themselves in public. But she said, I signed you up for your first action retreat in the free world. And in two months, you get to go meet your new friends, your new brothers in life. And man, David, that was one of the best gifts I've ever received from my mom because I went to that retreat two months later. And I mean, you know, I'm sure these guys thought, well, this guy's been living under a rock. And, and I, and I kind of have a rock called prison mm -hmm. because uh, these men took me in and they shared with me so much over that weekend retreat. They share with me their successes in life, but more importantly, they share with me their failures in life. You know, things where they had gone wrong in life, failed jobs, failed marriages, you know, mm -hmm. families that were torn apart because of the decisions they made, but they did all this so I wouldn't have to go make those failures myself. So I wouldn't have to fail on my own. Right. And um, those guys became my brothers that weekend. And I got to go to more retreats after that with them. I got to, they eventually took me back into the prison system with them. About a year after I got out of prison, I was back in prison doing the retreats. And now I'm a retreating from the free world in the same prison I used to do my time in. And I want to make sure. So I just wrote as you were talking, I wrote down the minute mark because I want to put that in our show notes. So if someone had missed that and was trying to write that down or that organization or that group down, I want to include that in our notes. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so, Damon, uh, as we kind of wrap this up, uh, kind of wrap a couple of rapid fire questions. But one of the deeper ones I want to ask you is having gone through what you've gone through to this day and the positive message uh, and change of the world that you're, that really that your message is bringing to a lot of people. And it's, 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 there's so many more people that needs to hear it. What does gratitude, what's that word gratitude mean to you? Gratitude means that I get up every day and I have a get to attitude, not a got to attitude. I'm so grateful for the life that I have today. And gratitude means that it's like we talk about, we have all these quirky sayings in AA, because that's what I go, I go to AA meetings all the time. Mm -hmm. We have these quirky sayings like one day at a time, because you can't do more than one day at a time, right? But we also have this little quirky saying that says you got to give it away to keep it. And that's about servant leadership. And, and true gratitude for the blessings in your life means that you share them with other people, because that's what gratitude's about. Gratitude's like, hey, I'm so grateful I, I've got this. Let me give it to you in some way or another. And, and that's what I try to do with my social media, with my books, with my speaking. I try to find a way to spread this message out there because I'm so grateful for the life that I have and the ability to tell this story. Because I've never done any public speaking. I mean, I just came out of prison and thought, hey, I got a great story to tell. I just started telling it, you know, practice it a lot. I put in a lot of hard work to get it to where it is. But God did all that. And I think that one of the things that people get caught up in the trap in life, and it's easy to get caught up in this, is that you think that you've arrived at some point. Mm -hmm. And if you keep this rookie mindset, which is where you attack life every day, just like you did the first day you started, mm -hmm. then you have the ability to be unselfish, honest, pure, mm -hmm. and loving in all of your endeavors. And those are important things for me because I'm a recovering addict. And gratitude is... Uh, you know, gratitude is important because if you, it's, it's impossible. John Gordon, my co-author says, right. it's impossible to be stressed and blessed at the same time. And right. gratitude is feeling blessed. That's a, uh, I don't think um, if someone's really listening to what you just said is uh, it, 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 it hits home and it, it's, it, it'll pull on your heartstrings. If you really understand, you know, what Damon went through and his message and, and hearing him speak live. So um, thanks for sharing that, Damon. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the things is as, as I wrap this up is that I've heard one of the favorite things I've heard you say, not just at where I, in San Diego, but just in your, in your social media post or in, in other podcasts is your past doesn't define you. And the things that you, that you think disqualify you in life might be the things that qualify you to help others. Can you elaborate a little bit on that quickly? Yeah, yeah. I think that so so many times in life we feel like that we've done something that makes us uh, inaccessible to. It makes love inaccessible to us. It makes acceptance from other people inaccessible to us. When in reality, it's really the exact opposite. Because the things you've done in your life, you know, while they might not be great things, they may some of them may be actually very bad things. But when you can own your behaviors and you can turn it around. You find that you're going to, there's going to be people out there 
that look to you for guidance because you have gone through something. You've done something and other people are going through things too. And that means that your mistakes in life, the choices that you made can actually be used for something good. That that your past is a lesson. You learn from it. You teach other people with it. There's a reason why your windshield is bigger than your rearview mirror, David. You need a lot more room to look forward than you do look backwards. So you can't live in your past. Right. But you can own your past and you can use that to teach other people with it. Like you said, the things you think that disqualify you might be the things that qualify you to help other people. I'm because of my what I've been through in my life and the choices that I made, it gives me the ability to help other people who are struggling in life. And that's what life is all about. How did I help someone else say, What did I do today to put back into the stream of life? That's the question I ask myself at the end of each day. Appreciate that. And one last deeper question we've all seen the kind of that we've all seen that movie or maybe we haven't the back to the future good old marty mcfly and if we can step back in time and change things a lot of us may or may not right but i'm curious for for you like if you were able to step back in time and meet the younger version of yourself what what would you do what would you say it's a good question and it's a question that i i get frequently people want to know what well, they ask it a different way. They want to know, what would you change? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and the answer to the, what would you change question is that I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything because I, like I said, you know, God uses stories like this to show people that he's real. God doesn't set bushes on fire anymore, David. That's very old Testament. God sets people on fire and people that are burning in the light of only what he can do is how we know that he is real. Cause people need to see that they need to see the burning bush, but it's a burning person now. Mm -hmm. Um, but what would I say to the younger version of Damon West? Here's what I would say. Ask for help. Because I did never ask for help. And the three hardest words for a human being to say to another human being, I need help. Right. I need help. It's the hardest three words for people to say. But the truth is, David, we all need help. The truth is we all suffer from time to time. Right. It's so important for us to ask for help. Just like it's just as important for us to be kind and help other people. Ask for help. Appreciate that. Thank you. So, Damon, as we come to a close, uh, again, I want to thank you for your time. I know you're so busy and this has been a long time coming. And of course, you knock it out of the park and deliver 100%. So thank you. If uh, anyone wants to reach out to you, have you come speak to them, buy your books, uh, where, where can they do all that? Yeah, uh, my website, damonwest.org is where you find me for speaking engagement, stuff like that. My books are available in there, but they'll really take you back to Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, anywhere books, and, anywhere books are sold where you can find my books. My social media, Twitter and Instagram is at damonwest7. Okay, and we'll, we'll put all that in the show notes. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And in conclusion, Damon West, uh, you're on the Why Not Me podcast. So I like to ask my guests, what does that mean to you? And what would you say to that person out there who's questioning themselves or maybe asking themselves that right now? Yeah, you were born for something great. And the, the idea that you have to settle for, for something in life because you think that maybe I wasn't born to something better. Or I didn't, you know, I didn't have these other opportunities in life that other people have. Don't do that. Don't do it. Don't worry about odds. The odds are never odds likely are not going to be in your favor. Very few people are born into a situation in life where all the odds stack up in their favor. Even people that are born into a life of privilege, they still face adversity and difficulties in life. And some people are born into something way more difficult. There's a lot of different ways to grow up in America. There's a lot of different Americas to grow up in. But I want y'all to know that every single one of you was born with a purpose. You were born to be great. But to meet that purpose, you've got to become the best version of you. And to become the best version of you, you have to go through your adversity in life. You have to go through the other side of that thing because on the other side of the adversity is the best version of you. And you'll get to shake that person's hand one day if you go through that adversity. Thanks, Dan. And be a coffee bean. <laughs> That's it, brother. Be a coffee bean. <laughs> well, thanks again for your time today, buddy. And uh, I look forward to seeing you speak and uh, somewhere soon around where hopefully you're coming back down to the South somewhere soon. Yeah, man. Definitely, brother. Thanks a lot. Thanks for your time today. All right, bye. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks, man. You too. Bye. Take care. Wow, today's show with Damon West was exactly what I thought it was going to be. 
Damon's message was honest, sincere, genuine, and really makes you think about what we really should be appreciating in our lives daily and who we should be grateful for and blessed with on a daily basis. Damon, thanks so much for joining us. If you're liking the show, please go check out my book as this podcast is free and you can find it on Amazon. Why not me? And if you're liking the show, please give us a follow, a like, and share this episode with a friend. Remember, until next time, when in doubt, ask yourself, why not me? Why not now? Have a great day.